0: This is a becoming creature. On this podcast, Robert and I discussed the value of magical thinking, the importance of emotional connection during COVID 19, the meaning of love, how to empathize better, the dangers of doing philosophy how Christianity might be a cope, and so much more. We hope you enjoy. This is your host, Nick, and I'm here with Robert, also known as at Childermass4 on Twitter. So how are you doing, Robert?
1: Oh, I'm doing pretty good today. Thanks for asking. So, uh, so who is Robert? I've been uh, studying philosophy on my own for almost seven years now jesus Mm. and i've been pretty interested in reading and all that entire my my entire life right now i'm uh, i'm on twitter trying to uh write my blog but failing horribly at it and uh, (laughs) new friends rad so uh so what kind of role has
0: philosophy played in your life like uh in what way do you interact with philosophy and uh in what way do you have a relationship with philosophy
1: this is a this is a very difficult question to answer because first Mm. of all what do we consider philosophy and uh our non-formal you know philosophical systems uh you know everyday rules and such are those philosophical systems because i think the first time I really thought about philosophy and such was I was, uh, I was learning to be a judge for a children's card game called Magic the Gathering. <laughs> As a part of that, you have to learn the rules of both the game and how to handle the events. Yeah, Those rules, you know, they explain why they have those rules. For me this was very eye opening to a 15 year old who had never had any responsibilities before because mm. you know I understood that rules are there often for a reason which you know is uh, is a big uh, moment in anyone's development understanding the necessity of rules for a good living uh, so what the- had, what did that introduce to you or or what problems were you struggling with and trying to solve in at that early age well, I mean, I think these are very relatable for everyone. You know, as a teenager, you got you want independence and you got parents hounding stuff over you and you don't want to be hounded over. Right. But that experience really made me understand uh, that uh, the necessity of rules, like I said before. And I think it was a big philosophical moment of, you know, recognizing a bit my place in the world and and uh, discovering a little who i am and and it's 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 just so funny to think that it was uh not triggered by one of the epics but by uh, the rules of a children's card game so later on in
0: life so as you started studying philosophy and getting more deep into kind of yes. interpreting the world and the and the rules of the world and the rules of human nature and all of that what did that do for you like how did that
1: play a role in your life a couple a couple of years later i i was uh, oh my god it's so embarrassing i was uh, i was an atheist and you know uh-huh. hardcore social justice warrior type you know who asked asked his friends not to say gay <laughs> right right <laughs> um and I was browsing image boards a lot during those days, and you know, as any any good any good intellectual, mm-hmm. I was told to start out with the Greeks, who I absolutely did not appreciate that that age. I don't even remember why. I really don't. But I picked up Kierkegaard, specifically his work *Fear and Trembling*, and it really shook me. And I never got over reading fear and trembling at <laughs> when I was 19 years old. It shook me out of uh, my my atheism pretty bad. I, yeah. I I tried I tried to be a Christian, uh it didn't work out. Uh, but it opened all these doors uh, around me, you know, that maybe there's more to the to this world than, you know, just matter interacting. Because Ryan. I'm I'm from Estonia and Estonia is one of the most atheist countries in the world. We are a bunch of peasants who yeah. only care about you know next year's harvest in a metaphorical way. Uh, we don't. We've been we've been invaded so many times and everyone's tried to push their religion and we just kind of shrug and go along. We're unusually resistant uh, to religion. When well, I, I was,
0: don't, I don't know a lot about estonia and estonian so do you mind just uh kind of like painting that for us like what's it like living in estonia and growing up in estonia and how right. might that be different from somebody that grew up elsewhere
1: well i mean it's it's really hard it's really hard for me to say what's different about growing up in estonia because it's like water to me you know right but i think i i, I even had a kind of an unusual upbringing for Estonia, but for example, when I asked from my mom at five years of age if God is real, she answered me, you know, it is if you want him to be. Mm. And I, my, my dad, I don't think I have ever talked about religion with my dad. And I think that's more representative of what it means to be an Estonian. We just kind of don't care. We're very practically minded. And this mm. is what Kierkegaard opened up for me, is this another world, because I am much more suited to thinking in soft-minded matters of uh, esoteric things and, and magic and thought constructs, I'm I'm simply much better at navigating those things, and I'm uh, I'm, uh, I'm naturally drawn towards them. So. Okay, so you were an you were an atheist, and you started reading Kierkegaard, and
0: yeah. you know then what
1: happened? I guess, uh, you know, it didn't it didn't make me believe right away reading Kierkegaard because mm-hmm. you know old habits die hard. But definitely before that, I really I didn't understand why anyone would really even believe in God and go to church and do all that. I just thought it was kind of silly, you know, role playing and stuff. But mm. it, it made me well to put it to put it in kind of a reductive way. It made me understand the psychology maybe of of uh, of a religious person and why that might be important. And I read the Bible pretty carefully and I I read some supplementary materials and I still to this very, very day, I appreciate it so much as a work of literature and as a (laughs) and as a book of uh, politics as well. What actually happened was that one day I was I don't even remember why, but I was in the city. Uh, two people approached me and asked if I wanted to learn about the Word of God. And since mm. I have been, I had been reading Kierkegaard at that point, I was, I was so on board. Wow. And we did, a, we did a couple of uh, Bible sessions. They were, uh, uh, they were a bunch of heretics from Korea. They have their own <laughs> cult thing. And uh-huh. while I did enjoy sitting and learning with them, they were quite nice people. I I think I think I am a bit too much of a fierce individualist uh, to you know to submit <laughs> submit myself mm-hmm. to uh, to a cult like that because you you know Protestantism has ruined me and right. I need to have a very personal relationship with God and and the, the, I, I'm not I'm not trying to belittle anyone who has their faith told to them. Absolutely not. Right. By needing to, you know, verify everything myself can get tough sometimes, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh what was what was the outcome? Do you have, you know, some personal growth, any insights uh like what what came thereafter?
1: I kind of I kind of drifted away from the cult, cult couple and I, you know, my 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 real life kept on going. Mhm. And, oh, my God, I was a very nasty person during my teenage years. And I think reading philosophy really softened me up a lot. And it's a funny, funny story. Actually, what what made me realize how much of a jerk I was being was I was talking to our mutual friend, uh, Snub, who is Mm -hmm. at corporate. It was it was way before it was like many years ago. And we got into an argument, and oh, okay. I I stuck to my guns to a very insensitive extent about a soft mm-hmm. event in his life, and you know we, we just stopped talking about uh, stopped talking after that, and I I kind of felt bitter about it, but now that I think back, it really was the moment when I realized that maybe I need to change <laughs> how right. I treat people, and I do think that reading philosophy made me more aware of what I want out of life and what is good. Tell me more about that. So so you did some
0: work, right, to to get to this point, to figure out uh, what's more meaningful in life and, and what you do want. Do you have any, I guess, any tools or um, anything that you use on a regular basis? It could be a habit or or anything that you do Um, with philosophy in order to
1: live a better life? I think definitely one of the big habits that I have right now, uh, magical thinking, which mm, it's it's very hard to describe if if you don't already know what it is. But Mm -hmm. one of my favorite definitions is uh, any non-standard causality, which basically means that you make up stuff in your head. You... Believe that the stuff you just made up is capable of affecting the world. And then because of your beliefs, you actually act different and uh, make it come true, which is uh, self-fulfilling prophecy as a trope. This is a tool that I would not have without philosophy. And that is such an integral part of my life. Um, As an anecdote, I um, I was trying to get hired for a job. And I went to a job interview with the attitude that I'm going to nail this job interview and I'm going to get the job. Uh, I didn't get the job. And my mom told me that, oh, you must be so sad about it that you didn't get the job because, you know, you were so confident in it. And I, I just wasn't sad. I, I knew that this was, you know, a magical thinking thing. You know, it was, it was a spell that I cast. On myself to right. make me confident and to make me do better during the interview. It's about, you know, using your, your own will. Yeah, <laughs> to, it to sounds like
0: my, my, my interpretation of what you're saying is is basically that if you believe that the universe is working with you rather than working against you, then magical things can happen and you can have more agency in your life
1: oh yeah absolutely that's a very good way to put it uh of course of course this is you know a very everyday use of that concept and uh, there uh, there are much more you know <laughs> unsightly and interesting things but uh, these uh, these should be still taken taken very seriously I, I actually had a very interesting event that uh, again changed my mind have about how i think about these magic magic stuff uh i was i was writing for uh nano remo i think it's called it's mm-hmm. where you try to yeah a novel in one month yeah and i was writing a novel about summoning demons <laughs> mm-hmm. and i was about four days into writing it when i had i was i started to have such horrible nightmares like these i i am i am very open to new experiences and i i really like feeling new things even if it's you know kind of nasty but these were so so terrible i got four hours of sleep every night and it made me realize that you know this is this is not something that like this, this magic stuff is not something that one should take lightly at all. all. It's serious. You can cause yourself very real damage. Uh, and, and I basically took the manuscript. I deleted it from everywhere and it's weak for me to, you know, sleep again, eight hours, uh, without nightmares. Uh, still to this day, I am like very sensitive to caffeine and, uh, (laughs) <laughs> and other and stimulants because of that so wow
0: well, yeah it's it's almost as if once you open certain doors uh you can no longer close them would you say this is true for philosophy at large like for example do you think uh do you think everybody should do philosophy and you know there there are dangers to um practicing this magical thinking but do you think there are also dangers in
1: studying philosophy well i mean i do think that i I take it back i am unsure if everyone should do philosophy i am Mm. i am i am still young and stupid i have my very strong opinions but uh (laughs) but i i'm i'm not willing to you know bet money on this but in some ways everyone already is doing philosophy by, you know, acting in certain ways and choosing to form certain habits. But if we are talking about formal philosophy, then I don't think everyone has the temperament for it. I mm-hmm. uh, I think that for most of human history, most people have gotten their, you know, opinions delivered to them on a platter and informed very strongly by the culture uh, they are in. And... I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think if if you want to live a happy and fulfilling life, believing the same thing that other people believe around you is is a good thing. Um, it, it's a, a very instructive, a very instructive example of this are the churches in, in America where, you know, people genuinely can rely on each other more and they are... They have more trust in each other because of their shared beliefs and values, and it lets them live happier and more fulfilling lives. And and there, of course, are drawbacks. If you don't control you know what comes into you uh, information diet-wise, you can yeah. end up in that space, and you can be exploited, and there can, again, be some very real damage. But I'm not convinced that everyone should come up with their... Own specific, you know, philosophical system and stick by it. It just doesn't seem like uh, a good way to to live for everyone.
0: This reminds me of uh, something by Camus that was A Summer in Algiers, and he raises a dichotomy between uh, the people that are younger than thirty, which are savoring life to the maximum. They have this paradise they have this beautiful land um that friends are spending time with each other um, constantly and they're they're always swimming and sunbathing and making fun of one another and then he says that after 30 that everybody just becomes melancholic that that everybody just um gives up in a certain way and they just lead out the rest of their lives in a quiet and reserved way and it seems to me that applying philosophy you know, before 30, in this case, um, is kind of pointless because you're already enjoying life to the best of your ability, right? You don't need to overthink it. But once these people were going past 30 and they didn't have the time to go out and have fun with friends and, and life changed, I feel like when you look at something like that, Suddenly, philosophy can actually have value. Do you think this like a- applies to other situations? I-, I think it's it's something valuable.
1: I, I have I have uh, two two remarks, two very good remarks. Uh, it's a good story. Uh, two remarks on this. Uh, first is that once you're 30, you might not even need philosophy because, uh, well, that's a bit of a bit of a normative normative statement. But you should mm-hmm. have children once you're thirty. Like you you really should. And I'll I think, think that's a hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh you should have children when you're when you're thirty. And that should replace the swimming and the sunshine uh, and and uh, and all the carefree fun you have. Because right. I don't I don't have children myself. I really mm. would like to one day. But my f- friends who have children, it, it just seems Fulfilling in a way that these, you know, carefully pleasures just aren't. Yeah. Uh, this, this of course doesn't mean that you shouldn't do philosophy after you, right? Have kids because, you know, you got to raise your kids right, and
0: uh, <laughs> right, right.
1: Got to, got to make sure that you give them uh, the best ideas uh, that are possible. But the other thing is increasingly. I think young people are unable to have that kind of life. Uh, maybe this is just you know like attracts like, but many of my friends who are my age are mm-hmm. really struggling with finding a uh, a place, and they they just don't have you know this sort of carefree life anymore. Um, it almost
0: I- seems it almost seems as if um, one's pursuit of meaning. Has to evolve over time because uh, just kind of like the impermanence of the human life, and that people need to look at their current situation at any given time within the context of um, the stretching future and their and their own life, and make those choices for themselves. But those choices could change over time. And and uh,
1: yeah, yeah, w- w- you you just you just uh... Unpack the oldest, oldest philosophical nugget: uh, know yourself,
0: <laughs> right. Right.
1: <laughs> which is uh, which is at the core of ethical philosophy. But but um, I, I on on the subject on the subject of young people and and philosophy. I myself had a bad life event. Let's put it like that, and mm-hmm. I kind of blew my life up and uh, went into self exile and w- was generally a nuisance to my family but yeah. in that time you know the friend philosophy means philosophy, a friend to wisdom and and during that time my only friend well uh was truly was wisdom and it gave me gave me, gave me great solace you know to to have something to spend uh time on that i f- felt like was worthy spending time on it it yes. really seemed like a noble pursuit to mm. to these works and to to try to understand them they 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 definitely have helped a bit but i do wonder if uh, if maybe i read them too soon (laughs) and and why would that be like how could one
0: like read it too soon like what does Uh, that mean
1: uh i you know it's 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 difficult to describe a lack of something because if you knew what was lacking you could you know already fulfill it, but I do feel that a lot of philosophy that I read, I do think that a lot of philosophy that I read maybe goes over my head. It's a bit too much, but I fail to grasp why this exactly is important. And it has, the older I get, the more and more the pieces start to click together. Ah, so this is why we need an ontology. Ah, so this is why we need to do that, that, and that. And It feels like there are still a lot of pieces missing that can't be just fulfilled by reading more. They have to be informed by life experiences and going outside and doing things and failing things and understand why philosophy even is important. Because to really get something out of philosophy, you you have to want to read those things. You have to want to get things out of it you have to you know do it with a passion and a love um, Mm. for those things and this maybe ties into why not everyone should do philosophy because maybe not everyone can muster this kind of love for uh for for learning these things and maybe they are better off about uh, learning about life by by simply doing and experimenting and experiencing stuff you know right it's almost
0: as if uh full, like the study of philosophy has to be meaningful to start with like you need to be either trying to solve a problem or you you have to be hungry for knowledge there has to be some cause and without that then it it might just be empty as empty as any book that an english teacher might assign their student and then you know 90% of the students aren't enjoying it Um, especially because they didn't pursue it for their own good
1: this is this is a very good analogy and and i think oftentimes philosophy is read because you know i i know i did i read plato and aristotle because i was told that i should read them and Mm -hmm. yeah and i i've i've come i've come back to uh I've come back to Plato and it has been a completely different experience. You know, my copy Mm. of The Republic is full of notes and uh, (laughs) I get I get a lot of joy out of the, you know, ironic, ironic touches. (laughs) Right. What I
0: wonder, do you do you think that's from age or do you think it's from having developed an understanding for the reading of philosophy itself and so you can go back and read it more deeply
1: uh well if i had to guess i think it was a. I th- I really do think it's age that. oh yeah you, know, you you can you can never know these things because i am still in the process of uh, aging and developing these muscles and understanding more things so it's um it's it's hard to know these things. Like if I knew it perfectly, then the pro the, the problem wouldn't exist. If I knew the answer to that problem, then it wouldn't it would cease to be a problem. If that makes sense. Right, right.
0: I totally understand what you mean. So there's this idea of having like a beginner's mind that I would describe as coming from a place of of humility. And then you have kind of the the expert's mind, or I don't know another way of, of putting it, but you can also comment things from the, this point of confidence. Um, in what way do you think a person should approach philosophy as as someone
1: that's well read? How do how do these things interact? I myself definitely am very confident in my beliefs and that they are good and uh, and that. They are true because I have put them to the test and they have led me towards a better life. Mm. If someone shows me a better way or a better philosophy than what I have right now, then I will test it out and dip my toes into it, so to speak. And of course, I'll try it out. But I am fairly confident that to borrow a kind of a, charge phrase, but under my material conditions, I believe that the beliefs that I hold right now are the are almost the best that I could hold.
0: So why do you think that they are some of the best um, ideas or best beliefs you can have? Is it is it because they've been improved through an iterating process or, or is it something else?
1: I think the sort of iterative thing is very... Uh, very crucial. Yes, they have been. Uh, I know how to apply my philosophical ideas. I am very familiar with them. Uh, they feel right in my hand. You know, it's like having a, it's like having a, um what's it called, and a musical instrument that you know how mm-hmm. to play in your hands, and it just comes very naturally to you. But also, it is I, I treat philosophies exactly like I would a tool. It is it is to be applied, and if it ceases to be useful for a specific problem, it is okay to put it aside and reach for a new set of tools or a new philosophy in this case. And mm. for, for for example, well, there are there are certain philosophical strands that I really detest, <laughs> like mm-hmm. utilitarianism, but it still is useful to apply every once in a while in some abstract conditions i might hate it but i will not renounce its usefulness but i will say that it is very often misused
0: (laughs) so if somebody's listening to this and they consider themselves utilitarians what is your argument for uh the what's wrong with that ideology or or what's wrong with that approach
1: My honest first response is that you're not worth arguing with. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) We could talk about something else, but I don't think there's going to be a productive conversation. Uh, But secondly, I think... Would you recommend a book to them? mm, Nah, nah, they'll find their own way out if they're... (laughs) At least you have some.
0: It's interesting because it's like you have... A lot of faith in them, but also no faith in them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, if they're, but here, here's the thing. To, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll give you an argument, actual argument after this. But here's the thing: if they are utilitarians and they are happy with their system, then like they're happy with their system. I mean, who am I I to tell them uh, that their system, you know, doesn't work for them? Like this is this is very much a matter of matter of personal temperament. Um, Every person has to make their own life bearable, uh, however they wish. Of course, you know this isn't a call to be deeply selfish, because I believe that if you are deeply selfish, you do damage to yourself in Mm -hmm. very bad ways. Things like hypocrisy and. Uh, maybe even hurting yourself or hurting others uh, maliciously can sometimes be the better of two available options. And I think it is, of course, these are, you know, not the best options, but those might be the best options available to that person at that moment. And I think that any utilitarian who is confident in their beliefs and happy with their life and how they're living it should, you know, pay no heed to me mocking them. (laughs) Right. So my follow up
0: question here is, it sounds like you, you approach philosophy from a standpoint of confidence. So from where you're standing right now, how do you kind of self-correct and how do you integrate new ideas that you come across? So how do you choose what to integrate and what not to? And if you're already confident in what you believe, how do you change things up? I need to, I need
1: to, I need to think how I have changed my mind this year. Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> so I have two answers for your question. Uh, one is a little snippet. Mm -hmm. Uh, which really doesn't matter it's like a small opinion but which i completely reversed or maybe not completely reversed but strongly changed my opinion on and one is how i tested out an idea which you know i had a piece missing i didn't really understand and then i discovered uh that piece so the first the first thing is when covid started i was uh I was for, you know, I was for the lockdowns. I thought that the government should have should have closed down earlier and that mm-hmm. the lockdowns were a good idea. Then I kind of, you know, I drifted along the lockdowns. It was uh, not a not a good time for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was a good time for everyone, anyone. And you know, seeing the aftermath of these lockdowns and how much psychic damage was caused by them. I really don't know if it was the correct choice to do so because people truly are absolutely mentally exhausted, and there is this. Uh, I, I, I say on Twitter that it's you know bad air that's causing all this, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there yeah. truly is something bad in the air, and the, the lockdowns. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh I'm, I'm gonna sound like a new age cook but you know it's bad energy up there <laughs> the planets are aligned wrong and the lockdowns mm-hmm. definitely contributed so much to that feeling and it is there is so much pain caused by you know all these people not being able to you know go out and have fun and live their lives i have a friend with a uh with a very young kid and a very young kid you know can't go into the post office and you know sort their letters because they're afraid of COVID. Like that is no way for a child to grow up, and it is devastating for 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 so many people. I, I didn't, I did, I just didn't consider it. I didn't consider the psychic cost of the lockdowns. And once I started to realize uh, the extent of the suffering, you know, I'm like, no, I'm changing my mind on this. I'm pretty sure that I was wrong, and you know. <laughs> there was that basically so, so digging ice. so let me i'm going to dig into that a little bit right mm.
0: so it sounds like you were very pro lockdown in the beginning because mm. you were seeing it from like um, this philosophy of harm to life and harm to the elderly and harm to the sick and and in a harm perspective but then you changed your interpretation of harm from like simple health and life to also integrating mental health into the picture and so what was what was that phenomenon like like what was that feeling like to to have that switch and how do you see the world now
1: it was neither an epiphany or you know a deep change within me Mm -hmm. i just failed to consider the emotional harm that not being able to hug people would cause because i just i just didn't consider it and I am smarter for it now, and it is in- integrated. You know, it, it's a valuable lesson to realize how important human interaction is, not for at an individual level, but you know, for society as a whole to be able to freely go around and uh, and enjoy their uh, their lives.
0: Right, absolutely. And you said you had a second story.
1: Yeah. Um. <laughs> so it's it's kind of embarrassing, but. Oh no, not embarrassing. It's it's kind of sweet. Uh I I recognized what it means uh to love someone and I don't I mean I mean this outside of an an uh an erotic uh, you know erotic sense. I mean love as in to love someone. It is it is it it was it was triggered it was triggered just a few months ago and I I just didn't know what i was feeling at that time and then right. i asked twitter <laughs> funnily enough i asked uh-huh. twitter hello what is love and right. i got into a conversation with someone and they showed me by telling stories about themselves and showing themselves to me they showed me what love is and how to do it and i am deeply grateful to that person and mm. with that i you know i slotted It's into, you know, my mental framework of the of the world. Of course, I I loved my family very much even before, but I Mm -hmm. didn't know how to go about loving someone outside my family who I didn't love before. And I recognize now that to some extent, my romantic relationships before I didn't really cultivate this, you know, uh, it, it makes me feel kind of separate but you know real love or or true love uh, within those relationships and this mostly stemmed from the fact that i was unable to love myself at that that, at that time i think this ties into philosophy because it makes me able to manipulate manipulate these concepts in my mind and i have the language and the framework to you know consider such things in abstract manners of course reading literature uh, has contributed so much as well. So Mm. (laughs) philosophy doesn't get to take all the credit. Then again, reading philosophy has helped me appreciate art a lot more.
0: Yeah. And the way I'm kind of picturing this as you're going through the world and um, allowing these ideas to compete and harmonize and, um, result in, in different perspectives. It's almost like, like an RPG where you have one slot for an item. They could be leggings or, or boots or whatever. And, uh, you pick it up and you have to like, look at all the stats and compare it side by side. And then you drop the old one and move forward with a new one, you know, which I, that's a weird example,
1: (laughs) but it's kind of like that. Yeah, you nailed it except for one part. Yeah. The old item isn't discarded, it is kept right. in case it still turns out to be useful. Because right. I think I think having for example, having been um, you know, a political, you know, true believer and, you know, getting upset at and, you know, political things, it's a useful perspective to have for empathizing with such people. Right. No, that's and, true.
0: And understand new
1: uses. Yeah, 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 definitely. And uh, this this old perspective, you know, I am very glad I had this experience, even though I did a lot of harm to myself with it Mm -hmm. mentally. I am so glad to have that experience because it allows me to empathize with people more, and it allows me to understand the world around me better. These old ideas, they don't go anywhere. They just, you know. They get shifted around a bit and tinkered, and then stored away for a rainy day when they might be picked up again. Uh, while you were
0: studying philosophy, have you have you ever have you ever like gone the wrong path or seen that happen to anyone else where philosophy was used uh, to to a bad purpose rather than to the good? And how can people be careful about how they're using philosophy?
1: Well, when I went into self exile, I I justified it to myself by by saying to myself eh, let's try out nihilism for a while and let's see how it goes and mm-hmm. i got kicked out of school i got fired from my job it did wow. not go well and it took me almost 2 years you know to recover and to um i am in the process of recovering from that and this twitter wow. experience is, is a part of you know opening up and trying new things and interacting with people again and it's going yeah. really well these ideas have real power, like I said before. And as with any power, it is easy to mismanage it. And especially when you slightly misunderstand what is meant. Because what I was doing wasn't nihilism. Uh, there's actually a very interesting dream about nihilism I had. Uh, but what, what I was doing was, you know, just kind of giving up and then justifying it as a philosophical experiment, which right. it just and it was just me being, you know, not nice to myself. Because, mm. you know, even even all those misanthropic uh, writers, they all had a, they all had a wife and kids. Right. <laughs> right. I, I had a dream, uh I, I don't even remember when. Could have been a couple of months ago. Mm. Everything a couple of months ago with me <laughs> it seems. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah.
0: I feel the same way. Everything that happened in my childhood, it was when I was 12.
1: Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> but go on uh I, I had a dream where you know i opened i i was there but nothing had a name it's it's very difficult to describe but i looked at you know what what would be the ground and no thoughts would emerge because it it ceased to have any meaning contained within it within it and i think it was a very scary experience it lasted five seconds but it you know in in my dream, but it's stuck with me. And I think that is, that is real nihilism is the complete loss of, you know, all experience, you know, you're there, Hmm. but there's there's nothing. It's just a void. And I don't think, or maybe, maybe it is attainable. I don't know. Reading some Buddhist texts, it kind of sounds like that. But to me, it sounds like the most horrifying fate possible. (laughs) Right. Well, it
0: sounds like the dangerous kind of disassociation, right? Where, a lot of my interpretation of um, like meditation and um, seeking enlightenment is becoming more embodied and more present and more aware. But yeah, that, that sounds kind of like the opposite of that to me in some ways.
1: Yeah, exactly. You get it. You get it. Exactly. Very good. <laughs> it's very you. difficult to convey these sorts of experiences in words, and I'm glad you have, we, have a, we have a bridge of some sorts. Oh, Absolutely. So the object
0: of this show is to try and figure out how philosophy leads to a better life. And some of my interpretation of that is um, seeing philosophy through the lens of coping, because um, a lot of philosophy is used to, to better understand the world or to solve certain kinds of problems. But Coping is, is very similar in that we, we have these, um, these problems that, that we approach and we either put on this kind of armor or this defense or we do something to our own emotions. And even though philosophy is, is the love of wisdom or the friend of wisdom, um, they're both interacting with the world and with problems. I'm curious how you interpret coping. And um how you think it, it applies to philosophy or, or what place it has?
1: I definitely feel like I am using misusing philosophy because uh, many philosophers consider philosophy as an abstract search for truth and I'm definitely not doing that mm-hmm. uh, or so it kind of feels. Uh, but yeah I definitely the main uses of philosophy for me are you know constructing various elaborate copes to make my life better and intentionally intentionally yes and of course it is very easy again to construct copes that will harm you in the long term Right, but i believe that if you tinker them just right uh they can significantly improve human lives and and induce human flourishing uh well, I, I hope, I hope, I hope, I really hope that you don't take this the wrong way. But for example, <laughs> Christianity is a type of cope. And I'm not, I'm absolutely not saying that God isn't real. I believe in a God, maybe not in, in the same terms as you do, but I absolutely do believe in God. Uh, but I do think that that belief is a cope. That doesn't mean that I don't hold that belief sincerely, but I do think it is a cope, and I do. I've think never
0: that... seen it that way. I've never thought of that, like uh, unpack that myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean,
1: I, 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 I'm sorry if I, I, if I triggered anything bad, but that's just the way that I approach these subjects, and I think that philosophy is the most magnificent way to build copes. It is, it is, uh, it is truly truly wonderful to use through through what mechanism,
0: like if it's the most magnificent way to construct copes, like what makes it the most magnificent way and, and how are they doing that
1: to give you, to give you a easy pipeline from, from earlier I read, read Kierkegaard and I read the passage where, where Kierkegaard describes how Abraham is going to uh, sacrifice his son and Mm -hmm. what possible motives might be and and it really made me you know empathize with religious people and and abraham and kierkegaard himself uh, and and struggles with doubt and in that sense philosophy first then you know broke away a bad cope you know Mm. that isn't real and all that exists is a material world because of course that is to some extent a cope as well and then reading forward he attempts his best to explain uh, how he would approach being a Christian. And through those words, I built my own interpretation of them. And then that became a new cope, (laughs) which replaced the old one, which afforded then magic and other mystical events uh, Mm. to happen in my life. The way I'm interpreting this is that
0: a lot of the normal cope we have are in some way kind of ingrained in our our DNA that our brain is structured in such a way that if a certain if something very dangerous occurs to us that like triggers a certain salience vector then we become traumatized mm-hmm. right and then we have a physical response to this trauma and our brain has a way to use sleep and other things in order to try to resolve that trauma and it's not always successful to protect oneself from the intensity of life, our body and our brains are structured to um, follow a certain process. A lot of this results in people developing phobias and um, having a series of neuroses of a kind that existed to serve them in order to protect them from a certain degree of intensity. And what it sounds like is you're pointing at, instead of a genetic vector for cope it's a memetic
1: vector oh, for cope, absolutely. Right? that's great that's a great way to put it although i would i would disagree i'd I'd say that ultimately we are all successful in being healed because once we die <laughs> we are completely healed of all ailments <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> some people find
0: death is uh it's it's too much of a good thing if you ask me
1: yeah it's it's uh <laughs> say that this is a very grim way to look at things but i think it's always you know a very very comforting thought that one day you know my my i love i love being alive i love i love this land and i love the world but you know someday it's my time to go and (laughs) i shall too be healed Well,
0: speaking of going, I'm going to I'm going to let you go soon. Did you have any closing remarks and anything you wanted to uh, wrap up or, or touch on?
1: Yeah, I can't not show my blog. Read my blog, you fuckers.
0: <laughs> All
1: right. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. uh, I got to show my blog.
0: <laughs> yeah. no, we got to We got to drive that traffic. All right. Anyway, Robert, this has been a lot of fun. I. I appreciate all your ideas and i've got i've got a lot to chew over myself you do i'm glad you do no i i've got to think about this whole christianity as a cope thing i i didn't i feel like I'm there's st- a lot to unpack there yeah for sure <laughs> please don't please don't lose faith because of me <laughs> <laughs> no worries no worries right. there rob anyway all thanks right. for coming on i'll talk to you today probably a little <laughs> bit later <laughs> all right. i'll see you see you i had an awesome time recording this episode with Robert. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to future episodes and read show notes on my blog, www.becomingcreature.substack.com. You can find Robert at Childermass4 on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Becoming Critter. Feel free to say hi. I'm very grateful for the intro music, which was mixed by Frank Ivey, spelled F-R-A-N-K-E-Y-E-V-E-E. And this has been A Becoming Creature. We hope you enjoyed.